Okay, tonight uh, we're going to talk about the power of a focused life. That's the front side of this handout. And then on the back side, it's a, a little extra note. I don't know that we'll get to it, but if not, we'll look at it next week. It's a, uh, an action plan for how to become students of the Scripture. Because I find that more people don't pursue the things they want to pursue, like uh, develop different issues in their life in the Spirit, and develop issues in their life even in the natural, or learn the Word of God because they don't know where to start and they don't have an action plan. It's as simple as that. They say, well, I don't, I don't know what to do and I don't, I don't have an action plan. And an action plan is actually quite simple to have. An action plan is not difficult. It's something as simple as this, I have found over the years, makes all the difference in the world taking the time to connect the dots to get an action plan. Even though you won't keep it 100%. If you keep it 80%, that, that to me is a high number. 80% is, a, is an A. If you keep your action plan at 80%, that's probably an A. I'm talking about all your areas of life. And if, uh, if you keep it even less than that, that's a whole lot better. You know, 70% of, uh, of, of a plan is a whole lot better than 100% of nothing. And a lot of people in the kingdom of God, a lot of people in ministry are, are fulfilling 100% of no action plan. They're just kind of bebopping around, uh, kind of a, a, a confused idea of being led by the Spirit. And they don't have any clear plan from the Lord. You, get, get your, you can get your plan from the Lord, and the Lord can adjust the plan. You can change your plan regularly. But by all means, have a vision and have an action plan for the areas that are important in your life. Not just your spiritual areas. For whatever area is important to you, have a vision, have a goal, and have an action plan. And that's what we're talking about here. We're going to begin by reading here in the notes, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. I'm going to read it here from the uh, New King James, because that's uh, how I have it in the notes, or that's the way that we most of us have learned it. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where, the, where there is no vision, the people perish. The uh, New King James underneath says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. It's the same exact idea. We need a vision, or we need a revelation. In other words, we need some clarity. This is what it means in terms of of our life management. We need clarity about who we are in the purpose of God. We need clarity. God wants to give you some insight about who you are to Him, just as His beloved, number one, but who you are in terms of His purpose and what He wants you to do. How uh, He wants you to spend your life resources. God has a plan and a will for how you're to spend your life resources. And your life resources are your time. Your time is one of your greatest life resource. Your affections, that's a very powerful life resource, is your affection. Your, your money, obviously, your talents, those are the life resources. God has a plan. He has, uh, God has a vision for your life and, the, and for you to spend your life resources. In other words, God has a vision for how He wants you to spend your time. Now, it takes time to get this vision clear and to break it down in some of its incremental uh, uh, subunits. I think, uh, and different people say it differently, it doesn't really matter what your terminology is as far as I'm concerned, but when I use the word vision, I'm thinking of the big picture. Here in Roman numeral 2, the components of a focused life uh, is the overall big picture life vision. But... Uh, smaller than the big uh, life vision is life goals. These are measurable. These are, these are uh, uh, something you can measure and define and get your hands around in a concrete way. Life goals. Goals serve your vision. 
And then, see, there's an action plan. There's a series of steps that help you fulfill your goals. And then, D, there's a schedule. If you don't have your schedule in agreement with your action plan, and your your action plan isn't in agreement with your goals, and your goals are not committed to your life vision, we end up walking about, just kind of spinning in in circles, wasting incredible amount of, of, of life resource. And money is power, but time is life. Time is life. God gave you so much time. Money is power, and that's a good thing. Money is very powerful. It makes a great impact. But time is different. It is life itself. And to squander time is to squander life. But more painfully, it's to squander destiny. It really is to squander destiny. Aimless people in the realm of time end up not fulfilling their destiny. They squander their destiny. Those words are horrifying, to squander destiny. To squander hours doesn't trouble most people, but to squander their destiny does. And beloved, let me tell you, it's exactly the same subject. The way you squander your destiny is by squandering hours. That's really how you do it. That's how you lose your destiny. And if you don't manage time effectively, I don't mean perfectly, But if you don't manage it effectively, you will not enter into your destiny. There might be one exception in a thousand. But the Word of God is very clear about this. One of the key realities of entering into our destiny is the ability to develop the skill and the character to manage time. And it is an issue of character, and it's an issue of skill. It can be developed like character, and it's a skill that's developed like playing the piano is a skill. You get better at it by practicing it. It's not an automatic skill. It's one that's developed by going after it. And again, uh, a lot of folks have never connected the dots that by squandering time, they, they really do lose their destiny. I don't mean all of it, but they, it's minimized. And uh, uh, it's very, very common for people to never connect those ideas together. That's a, a painful reality in my life. I don't mean to set myself up as the example on this, but this is something the Lord put in my heart in a very intense way. Some many years ago, I'm talking about like when I was 20 years old, I'm 47 now, so over 27 years ago, the Lord really dealt with me on the issue of time when I was 19 and 20 years old in a profound way. Some of my friends thought I was a little overdoing it, a little bit on the tent side, but it's 27 years later. And I am, that's one thing I'm very, very grateful that I've had an aggressive approach to time management. I mean an aggressive approach to time management, not because I like daytimers. I don't have a daytimer, never had one, although I've always written my schedule out. An aggressive approach to time management is the same thing as passion for your life destiny. I have a passion to fill my death, fulfill my destiny, and my passion for my destiny is identical with an aggressive, an aggressive scheduling of time. Those are identical subjects. And again, I see people talk with passion about their destiny, and they talk with looseness about their time. They never connect the dots, and I go, this, this guy's living in, in la-la land. There, there is no reality until your time commitments and, and your time management has the same kind of energy in your life that your passion for your destiny has, because it really is the very same subject. I, uh, the thing I fear the most, I fear several things, but the thing I fear the most is regret. I do not want to stand before the Lord with regret. That's the, I think that's the, probably the, not probably, clearly the number one thing in my life I fear is regret. 
that I don't want to be there whenever and say, I wish I would have done it entirely different. Now, I know I'll say, I wish I'd done this a little different, this a little different, but I don't want that to be a major theme of how I answer to God on the last day. I wish I would have spent my time different because to spend your time different, your life different means to spend your time different. It's all about the same thing. I really want to urge you to take time to establish this in your, in your mind, in your heart. And then to develop this reality into, into your life routine. If it doesn't become a part of your life routine, again, it's a pipe dream. It's never really going to be a prophetic destiny. It's real. What I'm talking about, this is a real issue. So, we've got to see the big picture. Where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, where there isn't insight about who you are and what you're to do, and you don't have to have an angelic visitation telling you you're this and that at the end of the age. I don't mean it has to be at that level. You can be have something as simple but as profound as, is that I want to be a servant that is skillful and dedicated in serving, and I want to go to the very height of where God will take me in serving. That's not an entirely... Uh, that, I mean, that's a very, very excellent life vision. Jesus said the greatest among you will be his servants. And that is a, that's a fact of life in eternity. In eternity at the great, uh, is the great equalizer. The judgment day is the great equalizer. The kings and the paupers, the, 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 the peasants and the princes are all standing on equal ground. And there's only one thing that matters. The equity in eternity is love and servanthood. It won't matter who you were, who you met, how big the crowds were, how much honor. It will only matter how you invested your life effectively in time and servanthood. And beloved, that is about time management. It's not just about kind of floating in the, in the, in the air and just whoever comes your way, you'll kind of get them a cup of cold water. You will be a significantly more skillful and efficient servant by getting a hold of the way you spend your minutes. If you want to be a servant and get a hold of time management and your ability to excel in serving will significantly increase. Here's what, uh, Proverbs says that if you don't have a vision, you perish, or it says you cast off restraint. It's the same thing. You wander about. To perish meant you're, you're wasting your life. Instead of the word perish, put the word wasting your life, squandering your inheritance. That's what it means to perish in this context. Without a clear vision, you will squander, you will waste your destiny and your inheritance and your life. Or you could say it the other way, you'll cast off restraint. If you don't have a vision, you will squander, you will have no restraint in your life. If you want to get people, if you want to get people committed and disciplined, you give them a vision. I remember, uh, as our uh, boys were being raised, Luke and Paul, when they were three and four and five and six and seven and nine, and myself and I were talking, and we talked about the issue of child raising. And I've always maintained this, and I maintain it to this day. I said the number one, I mean, there's a number of, of ways to approach uh, child raising. There's a number of elements. But I said the absolute issue of, ch- I mean, of, of discipline is giving them a vision. If they get a vision, they will have restraint. And the vision will progress. You know, at, when they were five, they wanted to be firemen. I said, hey, that works for me. I don't care really what the vision is. Uh, I wanted something that grabs a hold of them because a, 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 a person in whom their heart is grabbed, they will restrain their time. They will restrain their passions. And as the years, and the, actually the weeks and months went by, their vision changed. I didn't even care what the vision was early on because I just wanted it to grip their heart. The vision is the mechanism that grips the heart so that we don't live unrestrained. We don't live a squad and wasted life, particularly related to time. It relates to money too, but it relates to time more than anything. 
So it says, without, where there is no revelation of what you're supposed to do in life, the people will cast off restraint in terms of their time management. They will waste their time, and they'll just float around life thinking they're being led by the Spirit. But really, more times than not, it's just lack of self-government. It's a lack of discipline in our lives, lack of focus. Too many of God's people and those that aren't God's people are couch potatoes. And you know what happens when you're a spiritual couch potato, just kind of hanging out, just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. God wants you to get clarity and seize, seize uh, that which He's put in your uh, path and go after it. I don't mean knock doors open by manipulation and the force of your personality. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about managing your waking hours in a way where you, ex- you ex- uh, excel at that which God has called you to. You're developing your skills. You're developing your servanthood. You're developing your prayer life. You're developing your secret life. You're developing the skills that are critical for you to do the thing God's called you to do. And for most of you in this room, the skills are growing in the spirit of prayer, growing in servanthood, learning the Word of God, learning your instrument, learning a craft or a trade, uh, learning relationship skills. There are many, many types of skills that are necessary to, uh, uh, be, uh, to learn. Now, the opposite of, of perishing or casting off restraint, the opposite is to be restrained. Uh, the, the writer of Proverbs could have said it differently. The man or woman with the vision will be restrained. The man or woman with a life goal will be focused. That's the opposite way to say this. The focused person is the person with the vision. I told you about it. I had to quit saying it because it was just too uh, cranky and kind of peacocky uh, for a number of years. Because I was so serious about this issue. And again, it wasn't that I just wanted to do more in life. I was serious about uh, fulfilling my mandate in God. And that's, uh, again, passion for your destiny translates into an aggressive approach to managing your time. And I said this for uh, probably five years. I mean, way too many years. You know, once was too much. But uh, people used to come to me and say, uh, hey, are you doing anything? And I was always kind of startled by that. And, of course, that's not really true. I wasn't always startled, but a few times I was. And I said, I used to have this phrase. I go, yeah, I'm doing something. Everybody with a vision is doing something. But if you want me to stop it for a minute and talk to you, I will. And that was a little bit too intense. But it took me five years to dump that. At least I dumped it before I moved to Kansas City. It was back in my St. Louis years. But I've had folks that visit me. They go, did you ever get rid of that little proverb you made? And I said, well, I still believe it. But, uh, yeah, I'm willing to interrupt what I'm doing. But... I mean, I'm always in the middle of doing something. I mean, I just don't want to do nothing. I mean, the, the alternative is, is horrifying to me. I mean, truly it's horrifying. I don't mean I have to be active and busy. I might be alone, engaged with my heart. I'm doing something. I might be resting so I can do something in two hours. But I'm doing something that has purpose in it. That can, I can assure you. And I think, and, and that's, that's the way to do it. Resting is a very important part of serving, which is a very important part of being. It's, a very, it's all connected. And you want to see the whole thing connected in your life. Well, I have here, uh, Roman numeral 2, the four components of a focused life. Not that you couldn't put uh, others. An overall life vision. What is the primary purpose in your life? What are the long and short-term goals? You need some real long-term ones, 10, 20 years, but you need some short-term ones. What are you going to do in the next three or four months about those goals you have in, for 10 or 20 years? And, and I have seven different areas that we want to have goals in and that we want to have short-term and long-term goals in. And number seven, rest, is, is, a, is really an important one. 
When I'm talking about an aggressive approach to time management, I'm not talking about an, a, 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 life, a life of just hectic activity. I'm talking about trying to find the rhythms and the balances of life and make sure they happen by seizing your schedule and not let somebody else determine your schedule. Because if someone else determines your schedule, I guarantee you about four of those things aren't going to happen in your life. And I want all four of them. To, I want rest to happen. I want the whole thing to happen. And that's what time management's about. It's not about a, a frantic, kind of frenzied activity all the time because you don't want to waste time because resting is a part of using time wisely. It really is. But you want to study it and make sure the whole thing is happening in your life. Okay, the life vision is, uh, is uh, what the thing that you want to die for. What's the thing you want to die for? In other words, what's the thing you really want to live for? Now, some people say, I would die for this, but well, then live for it then. If you're willing to die for it, well, for heaven's sake, live for it. So there can't be, you know, a gap of reality between that which you imagine you would die for, but you won't bother living for. In other words, your life vision is what do you want to be true what do you want to be said about you at the judgment seat concerning your family, concerning your ministry, concerning your friendships, concerning your money, concerning your heart? It's not just a, a one-sentence deal like, I want to be anointed, or I want to be fiery for God. I mean, uh, I mean a life vision is, is, is a big focused thing like that. But it's the kind of thing that you want to be true when you stand before the Lord about your money, your time, your friendships. That's what your life vision is about. And I determined... Uh, 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 a clear life vision. Most of you have a life vision and maybe you haven't articulated it. I really would urge you to do it because if you can articulate it, chances are you're going to actually follow it. But there is uh, uh, undoubtedly the majority in this room, you've got a vision. You want to go for the fullness of God, something like that, and maybe you haven't just said it. But I would encourage you to write it out in a sentence or two. What, what is it? it may, maybe two or three sentences. You want to be said about you when you stand before God on the last day. And you need to lock that in. So I'm going after this now. Because without that life vision, you can't make goals. If you make goals disconnected from your life vision, your goals are going to take you down the wrong path. My uh, own story. I was about 19, 20 years old. I was at the University of Missouri. I was involved in the Navigators. It was a, a ministry like Campus Crusade. I was involved in both of them at uh, that time. And I met this guy, and he met with me every week when the Navigators, the, the head guy on the campus then, and he met with me every week for a Bible study and, and uh, was helping to disciple me. And, and he is the one that really went hard on this. He went so heavy on this. And he said, uh, okay, he says, I want to know. I want you to go write down what, here you here you are, you're 20. I want you to write down what you want to be true when you're 50. I thought, I'll never be 50. I said, that's, uh, that's never going to happen. He says, oh, it's going to. He, he was in his 40s. And, and, uh, and he said, no, no, he was real serious. He's very, very big about time management. That was one of his biggies. And it, it was kind of a, a new thing. And he kind of awakened this reality to me. And then it got a hold of me in a powerful way. And I said, here's what I want to, when I'm 50 years old, I wrote down these four things. I'm only going to tell you three of them. But uh, number one, I said, I want a friendship with my family. When I'm 50 years old, I'm 20, I don't have a, I wasn't married or had kids or nothing. I said, when I'm 50, I want to have a friendship with my family. Number one. Number two, I want to have an anointed prayer life when I'm 50 years old. Number three, I want to know the Word of God. And number four, I'll tell you, I said, I want to be in shape. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, three out of four is not bad. Three out of four is not bad. 
But I, I put that down there because I was a college football player and I thought I would always be one, you know. I never thought I'd be 50 and I never thought I would get tired and slow. But it happened. It happened. Can, any, can anybody give me an amen out there? <laughs> and he, he was the one that encouraged me to write down my life in 15-minute uh, increments. To write down, he says, schedule your time. You know, if you're up 15, 18 hours a day, whatever it is, break it down in 15-minute increments. I mean, a lot of things you did for two hours, so you put two hours. But he goes, I mean, he goes, watch the whole 15 minutes. Schedule your rest in, your, your exercise, your downtime, schedule it all. And, and uh, uh, that took, and it's 27 years later, and I still care about that 15-minute increment thing, and I've written it down for years and years. And for many years, I would write it down about every three or four months, and I would redo my whole schedule, the whole 168-hour week, I would redo it again. I would probably update it every three or four months because new things would happen, and I would shift this a little bit and shift that a little bit. And uh, matter of fact, uh, one of the things that, that 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 was so important is that when I first uh, met Diane was the issue of uh, of uh, time management. Because I met her, and, and I, she's I, you know I talked to her. I said, "Let's." Uh, well, how do you feel about time management? She goes, well, "What do you mean?" I says, "You know, how do you feel about it?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> we had about four or five major surprises in our early relationship, and that was one of them. But anyway, uh, she she liked the idea at the end of the day. She liked the idea. She said, I'm going to go for the hour increment. How's that? And I said, that's fine. But here's one thing we did. We did this for many years. We haven't probably done it for ten, but for many years. About every uh, three or four times a year, we would sit together, and we would show each other a written-out schedule of our week. And, and it wasn't about... Uh, us okaying it. She, I didn't show her my schedule for her to okay it in the sense of saying, well, I think that's dumb that you talk to that guy. It wasn't about that. I wanted to be accountable to her that I was using my time with excellence. So I would show it to her about three, four times a year. We did this probably 10 or 15 years. And uh, what it, what it, the reason we, we quit doing it is because we became actually skilled at managing our times. And both of us did. That something became a great value to her. It's an intense value in her life right now. And uh, it's a skill that grows, and it's a value that grows. And uh, 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 so we haven't done it in the years like we did the first uh, 15 years. But we would sit down three, four times a year. And again, it wasn't an issue of asking permission. I mean, there is an element of you, you want to agree with where you're going in your life vision and that kind of thing. But that's not the point I'm talking about right now. It was an issue. I wanted some human being to look at it. Not to okay it, but to say, but to have the ability to question it. Is that an excellent use of that hour? You're not resting enough. You're spending too much time here. It's just an idea. And we would, we would uh, uh, challenge each other through the years. And then I would really encourage you to find one person in your life that you give the permission to look at your time, at, at the way you schedule your time. Not, again, for the issue of okaying it, but for the issue of saying, well, man, there's, there's 35 hours there that are kind of in the grace zone there. Is, is that 35 hours times 10 years is like about 10 lifetimes, you know? I mean, it's a, there's a lot of life that's wasted when, uh, I mean, most people have large amounts of time that they don't, that, are, that is not directed time. It's just the time that whatever happens, happens. And when you have a large amount of time that whatever shall be, shall be, I'm telling you, you are minimizing your life energies and you're minimizing your ability to enter into your prophetic destiny. It is not a small thing to do that. It truly isn't. It truly isn't. And I hate wasting 15 minutes. I hate it. And uh, uh, because it matters to me. Now, uh, 
One thing that's very, very important, as I talked about this the other day, Diane, at the staff meeting, said, you really have to say this, that for 15 years, I want to emphasize this, for 15 years, I spent three hours, six days a week with my children every single day. I mean, if I was not traveling, and I was not traveling most of the time, I traveled a bit, but I spent three hours, 301 to 601. I timed it, and I was there literally 301, six days a week, 12 months a year for 15 years. And it was a critical issue because one of my life goals was I wanted a friendship with my family. To, uh, at this time, uh, somebody says, where, where do you uh, fit time with your wife now? I spend two nights a week, four or five hours a night, Mondays and Wednesdays. And I spend two mornings a week, four or five hours with Diane. Those are the four times that we are together. And the truth is we're a little bit tired. So I say, you talk. I talked last time. <laughs> she goes, I'm tired too. Hey, let's just go get a coffee. <laughs> anyway, I won't tell you how it all works because uh, we're, we're going to start the exercise thing so we have energy. But, uh, but we're there. And we're doing it, and we're having fun. I scheduled a relationship time, rest time, study time, prayer time, one after the other. And I want to encourage you to do that. Let's look at the, 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 the issue of the action plan. Again, it, it's, uh, see, it takes work. You want measurable, concrete steps with deadlines. You want measurable, concrete steps with deadlines. And one thing I'm going to uh, just mention here in a minute and to develop it more later is on the back side of the page, is that I want everyone in this room to have an action plan for their Bible study. If you get an action plan for the way you approach the Bible, I guarantee you, you'll approach the Bible dynamically different than you did the years without an action plan. It's really just that simple. You won't do it 100%, but you'll do it uh, 80%. I've had the chance to sit with young men and women through the years and help them find an action plan and study the Bible. I just got to spend an hour with Derek. Where's Derek? It was so enthusiastic. I laid down, uh, laid it out on the on the on the uh, on the whiteboard, and there I said, "Derek, I want to hear about your action plan on studying the Bible." And he says, "Yeah, bro, you know, Gloria, you know, uh, Hallelujah." And of course, I was teasing him because I was I knew I was pulling his chain here, and I said, "No, I said really, I want to help you. I want to get an action plan." I said, uh, and I laid out a number of things and some things he's going to do, and he walked out. And this is why I just felt enthusiastic to share it this week. Besides, we just uh, talked about in the sacred trust. He walked out. He goes, "Man, this is awesome! This is so cool!" Or maybe those were not your words. Kind of, they were cooler words than that. But uh, <laughs> he was so enthusiastic. And I, I've seen that look in so many people's face over the years when they connect with a doable action plan that fits them to study the Bible and to get a prayer life. It's amazing the excitement that happens when that happens because it's a doable action plan. And the reason most people don't study the Bible, and I'm guessing the majority of the people in this room do not study the Bible in any kind of discipline-focused way. I'm saying I'm thinking that 51% do not. That's a very, very uh, normal thing. They kind of read the Bible a little here, a little there. They bring it to the prayer meetings. They thumb through whatever page they're kind of striking them. That meeting, they kind of open it up and play a biblical Russian roulette. Oh, good. Ezekiel 19, uh, whatever that is. Lamentations 3. John 3, I found that one last time. Okay, Revelation. Oh, they say Revelation is good. That's kind of boring. And, and they just... I'm guessing, and I'm not saying that as a rebuke, actually. It's an extremely normal thing. It's not some, like, uh, innate, uh, it's not some kind of innate weakness or disease that we have. But I'm guessing I've never been in the midst of a group of people where the majority had an action plan about prayer and an action plan about studying the Bible. Now, I know that a lot of you have an action plan about prayer because we did it last week. 
But I, I want to see the thing brought up a notch and help you find an action plan on how to study the Word of God in a systematic way. And I, I don't mean you start in Matthew and then you read uh, uh, Luke and John. I don't mean systematic that way, but, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Because I'm excited about that. Let's look at D here, schedule. Let's look at schedule. Now, you got, if, if you don't have your action plan scheduled with deadlines, I mean, you don't have to keep all the deadlines. Again, my, my schedule, I keep it 80% of the time, and to me, that's, about an, that's an A. Sometimes I just stare my schedule right in the face, and I just go, forget it, and I just go get a banana split, and who cares? So I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about keeping it 100%. I'm talking about having it. If you keep it 80%, I'm telling you, I'm not talking about 80% of your work assignments. Say, hey, I showed up 8 out of 10 times. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about of your overall, the way you spend 168 hours a week, because that's what everybody has. If you, if you are in line about 80% of the time with what you're planning to do, your life is going to come to a whole nother level of excellence in the next year or two. It won't happen in the next month, but in a year or two, you will have a, an element of excellence in your soul. You'll have a, a new element of excellence in relationships, in your ministry, in your skill. You will be surprised how different you will feel three years later with a focused and aggressive focus schedule. It will make you feel so much different. People are feeling depressed and lethargic because we were created by God to work. We were created by God to achieve, to create, to succeed, to produce. Now, that's not our number one identity. And we want our identity in our being before God, not in our doing. But neither can we get rid of doing. We were created by a God who loves to create with capacities to generate things that are relevant and productive. And if you don't feel relevant, if you're not creating, if you're not producing, I don't mean compared to the guy next to you. That's a perversion when you compare how you create to the next person, to the person next to you. We get into competition and that's a perversion. And I don't mean creating and getting your, or, or achieving, succeeding, producing, and getting your identity out of it. That's a perversion as well. But you know what? We can get our identity from the Lord. We can draw back from competing and comparing with one, with one another. But we can still need to be achieving, producing, and working, and doing something with relevance in it. And I don't mean the stuff that's in front of everybody. I mean, it can be the most out-of-the-sight, out-of-mind function in the kingdom of God. You have all kinds of functions in your body that are not public, you can't see all kinds of internal workings. When they don't work, you're in massive trouble. And I'm not talking about you have to do something that so-and-so would be proud of you because it made a big splash. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that God esteems and God remembers, and you know it. And it could be the most out-of-sight task, but you're doing it as unto the Lord. You could be the most remote assignment with no human attention at all to it. And God says it's productive, it's achieving, it's serving a purpose. And I'm telling you, you feel very different on the inside. Because the God who creates, created us in such a way we need to achieve, produce. Work is not a curse in Genesis 3. Working by the sweat of the brow. The sweat and the resistance to work is the curse, not the work itself. We will work in eternity in resurrected bodies because it's a part of our joy and it's a part of our health to work effectively. 
We have to have uh, schedules and action plans and deadlines. We've got to be productive. We want to do things that can be measured. I don't mean, again, so I can measure it so I can feel better than you or feel successful before someone else. I want to measure it in the sense I want to know that what I'm doing is growing. I don't mean the numbers of the people are growing, but my heart is growing, my skill is growing, my relationships are growing, the way I give myself is growing, I'm growing in prayer, I'm growing in the Word, I'm growing in whatever skills God has called uh, me to develop in order to fulfill my destiny. Now look at here in Ephesians chapter 5 here in this handout. It says, the Lord says, it's very important here, He says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will shine upon you. Now look, it's talking to the lethargic believer in Ephesus. Here's the command, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine. The shining means God will anoint your heart. In other words, shake out of the lethargy and get into the anointing and the presence of God. That's what that verse means. Get out of lethargy. Get out of passivity. Get into the anointing. And look at how Paul tells him to do that. It says, here's how you're going to do it. Spend your time wisely, is what verse 15 and 16 says. Redeem the time. Walk wisely. Set priorities. Have a life goal. Have a directed focus. That's what wisdom is about here. And redeem your time. Use your time with the utmost care and wisdom. Redeeming your time. Your time can purchase. You can exchange time for things that last forever. You can redeem time. You can exchange. You can purchase. You can take the time, invest the time investments, and it leads to the soul being awakened from spiritual uh, passivity and operating in the anointing. Most people that are in the body of Christ that are spiritually dead, you could almost always, some of it's, it's traced right back to just plain old uh, rebe- uh, rebellion and sin. They're blatantly saying no to God. Others, you can trace it back to a wrong identity before the Lord, a wrong idea before God. But I tell you, more times than not, you can trace back a lethargic believer to a, a squandered life, squandered time as a lifestyle. They squander time as a lifestyle. And the little bit of inspiration they had when they came is long gone. It's only a memory. The people remember how inspired uh, uh, you used to be, but the inspiration is far gone. That is not what we're interested in. We're interested in a present tense shining of Jesus on our hearts tonight. And I I, I don't mean tonight versus today, but in the present tense, not just something that was true 15 years ago. Something that was true 10 years ago. Beloved, if you want to awake, if you want to arise, it's going to come down to the issue of wisely investing time and getting yourself in the presence of God. When I talk uh, to people, I used to do seminars uh, in the vineyard on developing a prayer life, and I always use this passage. I said an aggressive use of time is absolutely critical if you're going to have a prayer life. It absolutely is. You can't squander time and have a prayer life because the things that you need take time to develop an anointed prayer life. An anointed prayer life takes time. Holiness takes time. Love takes time. Those things are lost when time is squandered, or at least they're minimized. Now, without a schedule, without an aggressive schedule, I like to say the word aggressive, and uh, it can be whatever you want to be, but it's not casual. It's not just kind of, well, you know, whatever, whatever. You will normally, you'll end up, I'm talking about in your free time, you'll end up doing the things that you don't value, and you'll end up doing the things that don't connect to your life vision. If you don't have a scheduled t- life, you will end up taking your free time, investing it night after night, day after day, year after year, things that are not directly connected to your life vision and your prophetic destiny. And five years will turn to ten, and ten will turn to twenty, and your destiny won't be happening. It really won't be. 
And say, well, what happened? Because in the vacuum, what happens without, a, without an aggressive schedule, we have a vacuum. And most people are very comfortable living in a vacuum. What happens is that whatever the pressure and the emergencies are of the day, those things take your time and manage your schedule for you. And you've heard the phrase, it's a very, very important one, that good is the enemy of the best. And the devil will trade good for bad, best any time you'll let him. The devil will, the enemy will allow you to do good if it causes you to cancel out on best. Any time you will trade down to, be, to good from best, the devil will absolutely be voting for you. He'll be in your corner rooting you on. The good is the enemy of the best. You've, you've heard the phrase about the, the uh, tyranny of the urgent. Well, we get caught into the tyranny of the urgent. And that's what happens when we, we live with our, uh, our time in a vacuum. We don't have a clear uh, schedule that we're committed to. And, and I leave my schedule for emergencies. I leave my schedules for divine surprises. And I leave my schedule just because I'm tired and I don't want to do it. I, do, I leave my schedule for all three of those reasons. For divine uh, surprises, for emergencies, and for just sometimes I don't feel like doing it. But 80% of the time, I, I stay locked in on it. And so I'm not talking about 100%, but here's what I'm saying. Is that in a vacuum, without an aggressive schedule, without, without directed time, you will end up living in the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever pressure somebody will bring your way, whatever emergency, you'll put your hand to it. And those pressures and those emergencies and whatever the urgent matter in front of you, most times it is not connected to what God has clearly called your life and prophetic destiny to be. And five years turns to ten and turn ten years the 20, and you've squandered a significant part of what God called you to do. I don't want to live by the tyranny of the urgent. I want to live in the dignity of what is important. I want to live in the significance of what is important, not the tyranny of the urgent. And I tell you, you won't uh, win the popularity contest because most people live with undirected lives, with undirected time, And they live from one emergency to the other, and they will not understand or comprehend you living in the significance of those things that are important to God, the things He's called you to, that God will esteem and remember, and they will actually be mad at you if you live that kind of lifestyle. So if you're into a popularity contest, the the tyranny of the urgent is the way to get votes. You'll get a lot more people voting for you to be prom queen if you will... If you will just leave whatever happens, you leave your post anytime anything happens and just go with the flow. Now, there are, again, there's emergencies, there are surprises, there are, there are interruptions, there are spontaneous things that happen. But most of life, and again, I've been focused on this for 27 hard years, and I find most of that still has its place. There's a measure where that happens while you stay focused. But people just know now they will not appreciate it. They absolutely will not appreciate it if they don't live that way. And you won't... Uh, You'll lose uh, some uh, uh, esteem with some of them. I like to say, I will say it again. Everybody has 168 hours a week. If you don't schedule it, the enemy will. Your friends will. Emergencies will. Pressures will. Frenzied activities will. You'll just kind of drop into anything that presents itself. Somebody else will fill your 168 hours. If you don't seize it, somebody else will. It always has. You and I, we've all done 168 hours a week since the day we were born. Somebody filled that time. And more times than not, it was not directed time that we decided that connected to who we are in God. I mentioned uh, when we were talking about the sacred trust, there's a, a, a certain crisis at, 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 at IHOP here. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's a, it's a very predictable, normal crisis. Is that 
most of the people that have come to join our, our missions base, they have been governed by others. At least the 50 hours a week, they've been governed by other people. They started uh, little, you know, governed by mom and dad or whatever. They were governed by the school schedule in elementary and junior high, and then they threw in the sports and the music and the arts and the drama. Then they were governed by the schedule at the job. That's fine. They went to college, talked about the pastors that go to seminary, and they're, I mean, their 50 hours a week is easy, already decided for them if they're going to get passing grades. And they get out of seminary, and they have this crisis. They're 24, 25. They've been governed 50, 60 hours a week by somebody their entire life. A job, a coach, a school, an instructor. Somebody always laid their schedule out. They're 25. They go take this new pastorate. And the uh, leaders of the church say, uh, hey, what are you going to do? They're going, okay, okay, uh, this is a new feeling. This is a brand new feeling. And it's the crisis that a number of people have when they join a mission space. They've, they've had a, an employer tell them 50 hours a week what they expect of them, and they were willing to do it, and it was the will of God. But now nobody is governing you in that way. Your conscience is. You agree to things, and your conscience is your support, and now you have to be self-governed for the first time. Many of people. I mean, and, I mean, we have self-government in other areas of our life, you know, all the days of our life. But for the first time, we have 50 full hours, the majority of the people... And our mission base, this is the first time they've been, quote, in the full-time ministry. And they have a crisis. They have never, ever faced the issue of what to do with 50 or 60 hours. And they're going, my goodness. And what happens is the tyranny of the urgent devours. And every need that comes by. And, and it's so easy to get lost in a tell, just like a tailwind, I mean, a whirlwind, uh, like chasing our tail is what I'm trying to say, a whirlwind of activity of uh, just taking whatever comes our way. And I want to seize my destiny and go after it. I don't want to take whatever comes my way. I want to be a man of vision, a man of purpose. I'm going after this thing. And so I talked about the other day the burden of ambivalence. There is a burden with it. It's this ambivalent, undirected, unfocused life. And because we've been called by God, created to achieve, to produce, to make impact, to grow in skill, to progress in, and even understanding is a very, very delightful thing. There's depression. There's lethargy. There's disconnectedness. All these kinds of things are, are happening. And, uh, it's a leech stealing our life. This undirected, unmanaged life is a leech at IHOP, and it will be all of our days. Meaning, when we get 50 new people and 100 new people, unless they've been in the ministry and faced this crisis, this Goliath, and answered it and tackled it and wrestled this Goliath down and conquered it, it will be that many people it will be their first time in full-time ministry, and they will just be kind of bewildered. The first three months will be easy, because the entry program will just kind of organize their time for them. But after that, it's like... Okay, and it is a real crisis that everybody faces when they get out of seminary. So it's, it's a normal thing. But we're going to answer it in an aggressive way. I, I feel I was talking to Marcy. I said, we've got to teach time management aggressively from day one so we don't have this uh, wasted amount of time. Now, here's the good thing of what a schedule does. When I would make my schedule, I still do it about three, four times a year. I'll write and redo the whole thing. And, it's, and redoing it means I change it 20, 10, 20%. 5% sometimes, but I like to tweak this and that, and I want it focused. I want it precise. I, I don't want to waste 15-minute increments. I really want to get this thing, 168 hours. That's all I have. That's all you have. I want this thing to work. So I want to fine-tune it every few months. Now, here's the glory of what happens. When I fine-tune that and I make that decision, I'm, I'm focusing on it, 
And it's work to do this. It's hard work. And that's one reason people, some people don't do it because they never thought of it. Others, because it takes some hours to do this. It takes some thinking. It's a burden to do it. But here's what happens. I create a bunch of decisions that I, that I use every day. I, I put work in to create that schedule. It's creative. It's a burden to come up with creative, good uses of time. But I do that a couple times a year. And then all the days in between, I use the work that I did in creating my schedule to help me day by day to spend 15 and 30 and one hour periods of time. And what a lot of people do is they try to come up with creative ways every day. They retake on the burden of planning their day every day. And they end up not creatively and effectively investing their time. Because it's work to do that. But if you have a schedule, you do it once or twice or three times a year, and you get to live off of it in all the days in between the readjusting of the schedule. I find it tremendously helpful. I don't have to make good and hard decisions, creative decisions of how to use an hour. I don't have to make that decision every day. It's already been made for me, by me, but earlier when I was setting the course for the next number of months of my life. I find it a a much easier way to live. I mean, I, I don't... I don't remember the last time I got up in the morning and said, I wonder what I will do today. I don't ever remember that for 25 years. I wonder what I will do today. I know clearly what I'm going to do today. It's already there. Now, again, I may just say, you know what, I'm deleting that and I'm just going to rest. You know, I don't always keep it. But at least I know what I'm going to do today. And with the schedule, I can tell you uh, about 80% accuracy what I did at any given 15 or 20 minute time six months ago or six months from now with about 80% accuracy minus a divine surprise or an emergency because anybody can with a scheduled life. It really is. I know what I do at Tuesdays at 12. I know what I do at Thursdays at 2. I know what I do Fridays at 1. It's, it's clearly laid out. I don't have the burden of figuring that out every Friday. I've already got it laid out what I do Fridays at 1. It's actually a lot freer way to live. It's a lot freer way to live because in the tyranny of the urgent, what you do is you fight the wrong battles. Fighting all the wrong battles. It's depleting our life energies. And we don't end up accomplishing our, uh, our, our life mandate. And that's not what we want. But when our life is scheduled, when our life is scheduled, our life energies are maximized. Isn't that what you want to do for the next 10 years? You want 20, 30 years, whatever. You want to maximize. Your life energies. You only got a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of affection, a little bit of strength. You want to maximize that life energy and those life resources. Well, self-government's the key. If you want Christ to arise and shine on your soul, redeem your time. It's called self-government. The lack of self-government, the lack of management of time, it's really self-government. It is the mean word is irresponsibility or undisciplined. We don't like that word, so we'll call it lack of a self-government. But we, we, we need to get a hold of self-government in our life. Now, I want to say this to you again. I want to shake you up a little bit. But whatever you fail to manage, you will lose. You have to know that more times than not. There's a, there are exceptions. Whatever you fail to manage, you will lose it in time. The Lord uh, called me to be a Bible teacher. Because he called me to be a Bible teacher, I have invested myself with a fanatical passion to study the Word of God. I don't want to be a Bible teacher. I want to be the best Bible teacher, not in the world, not better than that guy. I want to be the best I was ordained to be. I said, when the Lord called me this when I was, what, 20 years old, whatever, I said, okay, if that's where it is, 
I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was uh, accepted to med school. I was, thought I was on my way. I was going to go to the mission field. And the Lord redirected my life and said, you're going to be a preacher. I said, well, okay, let's do that. I'll do that. And uh, uh, I didn't really at that time. I tell, I tell the story. I didn't really like prayer. Didn't like fasting. Didn't like Bible study. Didn't like Bible study at all. And I thought, huh. And when the Lord called me to be a preacher, I did not like Bible study. And I thought, this is a dilemma. I don't like my, life, my, my, my skill for my vocation and my destiny. This is a problem. And I said, let's just figure this thing out, Lord. And I decided I was going to go. I said, I'm going to be the most developed Bible teacher I can while having friendship with my family, developing them a spirit of prayer, and keeping myself in great shape. Glory. We uh, have it in the back. We, we gave it to you last week, this little schedule. And you can make copies of it. We're going to just keep it back there for long term. It's the weekly uh, schedule planning tool. And then on the back side is the monthly one. We're going to keep them out there. I encourage you to get a few of them and just make a bunch of Xerox copies. And every three or four months, redo this thing. But, I mean, get it down to the hour. Get it down more than that if you want to. This is an incredible tool to make your life effective. It really, really is, is true. And if you can't write your schedule down, uh, you know, some, maybe the guy next to you can tell you what the problem is. If you can't say what you do, if you can't write it down, it's because it's not directed time. And you know what? You want to find that out now, not at the judgment seat of Christ. You don't want to wake up one day standing before God in eternity and find out 70% of your life was squandered. You want to find it out now. Because when you write it down, it's the first couple of times. It's kind of hard the first couple of times, but you get good at it. You get skillful at it, just like uh, playing an instrument. But at first, it's horrifying. It's like, wait, it's, this schedule's lying. I don't have that many empty spots. And then someone says, hey, can I see your schedule? No, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. You know, it's like when you look at the checkbook at the end of the year, and you know you gave a lot more than that. And it comes back, and he said, no way. In the name of Jesus, I bind this number. I gave way more than that. <laughs> when you write it down, if you can't write it down, beloved, it's not directed time. And it's going to end up more time. Not always. Not always. It's going to end time up, though, too many times being squandered time. Sometimes the Lord's on it. It's not like... Uh, I mean, I have divine appointments all the time that are outside of my directed schedule. But let me tell you this. The majority of my life has a routine to it. But here's what happens. When you begin to lay that thing out, you begin to set those divine boundary lines. You begin to uh, get clear as to what your focus, is, uh, your, your focus and your priorities are. And you begin to serve your life vision with one-hour increments. You get boundary lines for your life. And more than, I mean, in addition to that, you set routines for your lifestyle that's going to serve your destiny. You don't want to show, wake up in ten years and find out that your lifestyle and your life routines are not parallel and in agreement with your life destiny. When you lock it in, you end up developing life routines that are dynamically related to your prophetic destiny. This is fantastic stuff. This is good. Well, let's just, let's just end with that. How's that? We'll do the Bible study thing next week. I'm excited about that one. I, I want to help you get a vision in a, I mean, a simple way. It's easy. How you can become students Overnight, you can direct yourself in a focused way. We need a focused action plan in terms of Bible study. That's next week. Okay, let's stand. Derek, you're doing it, aren't you? He's got, Derek's going to show me every week. He's going to show me the assignments I gave him for the week. He's bringing them to me.